And we do thank you for this sweet time in your, in your presence, Lord. We, we so enjoy your, your company among us, God. And as your spirit works and ministers to our hearts in worship, Lord, there is just such a, a sweet fellowship. And Father, we would ask now that you would speak to us as we look to your word together. Give us ears to hear, open our hearts and minds to see spiritual truth tonight for our own lives and for our church, for our families. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them with me to the book of Leviticus, chapter 24. Continue our study through the book of Leviticus. We'll be looking at chapter 24 tonight. The title of our message is, The Lord Our God is Holy. We'll be looking at the holy oil, the holy bread, and His holy name. Let's begin, if you will, with me, verses 1 through 4 as God gives instruction to Moses for the children of Israel and the priesthood concerning the holy oil. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in all your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. You may remember earlier, both in Exodus and in Leviticus, we have talked about some of the articles there in the tabernacle. And the golden, excuse me, the golden lampstand was one of the elements there. It was not within the Holy of Holies, but just outside in the holy place, just outside the veil was this lamp. And what we see here is um, that the people were to actually contribute part of the process in bringing the oil for the lamps. Now the oil would be managed and in charge of the high priest, Aaron in this case. It would be the only light source within the tabernacle. And we've looked at this before. We know that the oil is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And this this lampstand burning the oil Uh, would have seven lamps, that symbol of perfection, the full Spirit of God. God wanted to be a light to them as a people, and He wanted to be a light through them to the nations. And so this oil burning, the light of God's presence and God's Spirit would be in their midst as a nation, symbolized by the continual burning of the oil. And of course today, today the church of Jesus Christ, we have been called to be light unto the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. So God's light has shined on us and God's light desires to shine through us in the person and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the people brought the oil and the priest cared for the lamps. It's interesting how God involves His people in this process. It's not just God doing something apart from His people. They were active. The people would actually help prepare and provide the oil, and then the priests would actually manage the oil within the tabernacle. And I think in the same way, we are also involved in the Holy Spirit's ministry in and through our lives. We cannot just assume that God's Spirit will shine brightly in us and through us just without any care or any tending of our own spiritual lives. If the people didn't press the oil, if the priests didn't manage the lamp, the the oil burned out, the lamps went out, the light went out. 
And so in our lives spiritually, as individuals, as a church, we need to be actively engaged in inviting and uh, applying the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. A couple of verses that speak to this. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Apparently, the Holy Spirit can be grieved in our lives. Apparently, we can do something or some things and resist Him in certain ways, uh, engage ourselves in certain lifestyles wherein the Holy Spirit is actually grieved. And so we have this interaction, this relationship. The Holy Spirit is not just some light in and on us, you know, without any uh, kind of consideration of our own effort and and spiritual discipline. Also in Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or waste, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul encourages the believers in Ephesus, Don't quench the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. And this would be part of your uh, personal daily uh, spiritual discipline and fellowship and devotion life wherein the Holy Spirit is in your heart and fresh upon your life. First Thessalonians 5.19, Paul would say, don't quench the Spirit. You almost have that idea of a light, don't you? Don't, don't extinguish, don't quench the light of God in your life, the person of the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need that constant presence of God, that light of God, that touch from God. And that comes just as it did in the tabernacle through the daily care and ministry of the people. And so you and I, we need to be daily uh, pressing oil for our lamps and uh, tending to the lamps that they do not burn out. How do we do that? Through prayer, through the reading of His Word, by staying close to the Lord. If we, if we stray, if, if we sin, if we fall into, into something, we immediately return to the Lord. We confess our sin. We restore fellowship. We're forgiven. We're growing in Him. And the Holy Spirit's presence is upon us and working through us, changing us, transforming us. This is the image that we have. This lamp was to burn and never go out. What a tragedy when the light goes out. What a tragedy when the presence of God departs. You know, the nation of Israel would would fall into sin. They would fall into idolatry. They would come to a place where it would even be said of them that the glory of the Lord has departed. They let their light go out. And so the warning is for us as well. Well, I I don't ever want to be a church where the light is out, do you? I don't want to ever get just to where we're just kind of going through the motions, but there's no reality, no substance, no anointing of His Spirit in our midst. We need the Lord in our, in our church, and He's in our church as He's in the hearts of the people who come and fellowship in the church. Let's be tending our lamps. Uh, let's make sure that the Holy Spirit and the oil of the Spirit is upon us. Secondly, we'll look at the Holy Bread, verses 5 through 9. And you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows six in a row on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense frankincense on each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, 
for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. statute excuse me. The table of showbread or the table of the bread of presence, the holy bread, 12 loaves were, be, were to be uh, set upon this table. Again, this table existed in the holy place. Kind of a little image of it there. This is a rendering of what it might have looked like. The bread stacked two uh, stacks of six loaves each, baked there in the presence of the Lord. And this was, of course, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And these loaves were uh, symbolic of a couple of things. One, his presence, that God would always be in the presence of his people, and his people would always be in his presence. God's people are always close to his heart. He is always mindful of his people. The bread, the, the twelve tribes, the whole nation, always before him, always on his mind. The Bible speaks of that way concerning us as well. That the Lord knows your need. He knows the number of hairs upon your head. God is intimately acquainted with you and involved in your life. You are always on His mind. You are always in His presence through the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, who is now your intercessor, who is now your high priest. You don't have to wonder if God's thinking about you. He is. And so this bread would would represent, the people would know wherever they were, we are on the heart of God. We are represented there in the very presence, in the tabernacle of God. We are there in the presence symbolically through the bread. But not only his presence, bread would often uh, symbolize provision. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord was ever mindful of his people to care for them and to provide for their physical needs. So it's good to know that, the, that, that we're on the Lord's mind. It's also good to know that we are on his mind for good, that he wants to bless, he wants to provide. He knows what you have need of. Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't take care for these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. God will meet your need. God will provide what you need. Not always what we want, but he will provide always what you need. The psalmist said, I've never seen the children of God uh, begging bread. God has always come through from generation to generation. There are testimonies just in this room. If we were to give testimony, there would be testimony upon testimony of how God miraculously met your need in ways that you never imagined. When you thought all hope was lost and you were desperate, God came through. And he will because he knows what you need and he is uh, watching over you to provide. And the priest then, of course, would, would eat this bread. So it would be in uh, each Sabbath they would bring in new bread. The priest would then eat and partake of the bread that had been in his presence for those that week. And this symbolized just the fellowship of God. The priests representing the people, their fellowshipping and partaking with, with a, a meal with the Lord. God fellowshipping with his people, intimately involved in their lives. Let's pick it up now in verse 10, and we'll take a look at God discussing uh, His holy name. What's going, what, what the Scripture is going to do here is actually describe an event for us. This event will become occasion for God to teach them concerning His holy name. Look at it with me now in verse 10. Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite woman's son 
and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. So, a woman that is is a Jew, she's an Israelite, she was there in Egypt, undoubtedly she met an Egyptian man, married him, we don't know if the fathers had come out with them, we don't know if he's died, if he's there, if he's back in Egypt, but they had a son. So this son is half Israelite, half Egyptian. And he goes out into the camp and he gets in in a fight with someone who is a full Israelite. Verse 11, And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shalomith, Shalomith, the daughter of Debri and the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody. Uh, Sorry, I lost my place. They put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp him who is cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the strangers as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. So you get the, the picture here. This young man goes out and comes into some kind of a dispute with an Israelite. And it gets, in no doubt, into a very heated battle, maybe even physical fighting. And this half-Egyptian, half-Israelite man curses God. And it may have been that he cursed the man he was fighting in the name of God. It may have been that he, I curse your God. We don't know exactly other than that he blasphemed the name of the Lord. Now, God had already given the Ten Commandments concerning his name and that it was to be reverence, that it was to be holy, that it was not to be taken in vain. Because the name of God represented who God was. It's not just words. It's the essence of who God is. And so this man is not just kind of losing control and saying something uh, inappropriate. He's speaking of rebellion in his own heart. He is cursing God. He wants nothing to do with this God of Israel And uh, I'm just here because my mother happens... We don't know all that he was thinking, but we know that he lost respect for the name of God and for the essence of God. And so they weren't sure what to do. Um, They knew... Moses would know what to do if it had been just a full Israelite. He would have known what to do. But this was somebody who was half Israelite, half Egyptian. And so this was kind of a new case for them. They weren't exactly sure what to do. He blasphemed, but we see that in verse 12 that they decided to kind of just put him in in jail, if you will, put him in holding while they sought the mind of the Lord. It's uh, something that they needed to hear from God. What do we do with this guy? Uh, He's not really a full uh, part of our nation, and yet he's certainly broke uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, what What should we do? And I think this is a good pattern for us Uh, to be reminded that we need to know the mind of God. Moses is this leader, and as a good leader does, you know, when you don't know what to do, you seek the Lord. Moses didn't say, well, I'm the leader here, I'll just make a decision, we'll do something. No, I don't know what to do. Hold on to him, let's seek the Lord, let's seek the mind of God. You know, life brings circumstances to us, doesn't it, that we don't always know exactly what to do. 
Even if we've been walking with the Lord maybe for many years, you may be a student of His Word, but something happens, some unique circumstance in your life comes up, and now what? What do I do? What's the right thing to do? What would the Lord desire me to do? And we need to seek His mind. Wait on Him. Pray. Consider His Word. Consider His counsel. Seek counsel. Don't just take matters into your own hands. Don't just, you know, come up with your best guess on what to do. Now, I'm not talking about small decisions, you know, what kind of gas to put in the car at the pump, you know. You don't need to be down on your knees in prayer for things like that. But, you know, real kind of consequential issues that come up in life, what do we do? We need the the mind of the Lord. And and again, it speaks of a relationship with Him wherein you're able to call on Him and, and seek Him. What are we going to do as a church? What are we going to do as a church? What does God want to do? In your life? What does He want to do in your home? What does God desire to do in our church, in this nation, at this time, in this community that we are here? What is it that the Lord wants to do? We need to know and seek His will and His counsel. We need to have His mind. We don't want to be doing what we think we should be doing. We don't want to be doing, well, this is what's working over here in this city. Or this is what's been passed down from the denomination headquarters. This is the new national plan. We don't have that kind of a... Of a we're not a denomination. We're just an affiliation of churches. And part of, it really, and one of the things I appreciate about being uh, affiliated with Calvary Chapel is that there is no headquarters sending down edicts on how to do ministry. Here's the edict. Seek God and be led by the Spirit. Teach His Word, stay close to Him in prayer, and see what He wants to do and obey Him. It keeps you on your knees. It keeps you in prayer. It keeps you in a a sense of looking and depending upon Him. And I believe that God will actually orchestrate your life into places where you need that kind of counsel. God will purposefully bring you to a place where you need to seek Him. You don't know exactly what to do. Because God wants you to seek Him. God wants you to be dependent upon Him. And uh, we see that here, that they stop. Now, there's a few things that we do know, uh, especially in the life of the church. This is a a verse that we often use as kind of the the foundation for our fellowship, Acts 2.42. In the early church, it says, "...they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers." So there's some fundamental things that we know that we're called to do as a fellowship. We're to to study the Word together. We're to be engaged in prayer, and we're to be participating in fellowship, uh, being engaged in one another's lives. But beyond that, we need to be led by the Spirit. What does God want to do in Monrovia? What does God want to do this year? What's happening in our country? What should we be praying about? These are the things that we must seek the Lord on and uh, find out His mind. Sometimes it takes waiting on the Lord. I don't know if you've experienced that. I know I have. God doesn't always reveal immediately what I should do. Sometimes I have to keep it in prayer for a season, and I have to kind of wait on God. But in time, I, I find that the Lord begins to give me a sense of direction, a peace, speaking to me maybe out of His Word, certain doors that open, other doors that close. But in time, if I'm keeping it in prayer and before Him, The Lord begins to reveal His will. And so it is here. The Lord speaks to Moses and He said, Listen, 
This man has to be put to death. He needs to be taken outside the camp, and he needs to be stoned. And this is exactly what they did. We'll find that out here at the end of the chapter. It may seem a little harsh, but this was the penalty for blaspheming the name of God in this early nation of Israel. They were to be put to death. This was no small offense. This was uh, outright rebellion against God's authority in this nation that, is, that he, God is just beginning to form. We've talked about this before. There are times early in a work of God where God will be extremely careful to keep the work pure. Because if you don't build the right foundation, then you're going to be off almost immediately. And this is the way it works. You know this. It seems that generation to generation, things tend to deteriorate. Have you noticed that? If you notice that in our own country as a nation, we are not growing more spiritual. We are not growing closer to God and His Word and His commandments, even though we were founded on what would be considered biblical principles. And yet there is a drift, there is a departure, and each generation seems to depart just a little more. If You can imagine if God did not deal with this, if, if this command to keep His name holy was just kind of a, you know, Uh, something that you didn't really have to worry about, if it wasn't punished severely in this early part and time of the nation, imagine how quickly the nation would have departed from their respect and fear of God and His name. They ended up departing from Him anyway over generations, but God is doing a work of preserving His people here, and this young man was taken and executed. God goes on from here, And he uses this as an opportunity to talk about uh, a number of other, uh, uh, his holy justice in a number of other circumstances. Pick it up with me in verse 17. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor, as he has done, so shall it be done to him, fracture for fracture. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and they took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. So God uses this as they're seeking the mind of God. God takes opportunity not only to address this incident, but he begins to lay out uh, uh, some instructions on how to mete out justice, civil justice, within the nation. He begins to talk about punishment that would be fitting to the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This would be to provide limits and to regulate punishment uh, within this nation. A a time to protect uh, people from taking personal and private revenge. And also, of course, to provide a strong deterrent for just kind of getting into careless violence as a people. So God is setting up some, some civil justice in their midst. We have something like that here today, right? We have penalties intended to fit the crime, right? Parking tickets do not typically warrant the death penalty. (laughs) Uh, There's different fines, different types of penalty and punishment for different types of crime. And this is what God is instituting here in principle. 
and he's looking to protect them from taking advantage of one another. You can imagine in a society, now they didn't have a police force. This was a nation that was going to be kind of self-governed and, uh, you know, they would be ruled by God's laws. So you can imagine, you know, uh, uh, somebody who might be bigger and stronger than others, may they might want to seek their own re- revenge, right? Oh, man, you dropped that rock on my foot? Come here. I'm going to... You know, I'm going to break your leg, you know, and show you who's boss around here. Well, God puts in some regulation here to protect that kind of thing, not to take advantage, you know, excess uh, uh, retaliation. But it's also something of a deterrent, isn't it? You're going to be a little more careful before you, you know, go down with somebody, right? Let's step outside. Okay, let's step outside. Well, before I poke somebody's eye out... (laughs) I'm going to be a little more careful. Do I really want to get into this kind of an altercation? Because if I if I injure this guy, I'm going to be, you know, judged accordingly. So there was something, no doubt, of a deterrent, but also an opportunity to regulate and protect them from people taking personal vengeance. It would also include restitution. If you killed someone's animal, then you would have to restore that animal. So God really just trying to provide some civil order into the nation, uh, and he uses this opportunity with this individual uh, to kind of give them further instruction on how to mete out punishment and justice in the land. As I mentioned, the Lord deals very swiftly with this new nation to preserve his name and the fear of God within their hearts. Uh, And this was, again, to, to try and provide a very solid and strong foundation. I'm going to. I'm not going to press on to chapter 25 here tonight, uh, because I want to spend a little time talking to you, just sharing a little bit of my heart, and then I want to ask you to join me in prayer tonight. Uh, as we look here uh, tonight at God really um, calling His people to be mindful of His holiness, uh, and really, you know, almost seems like, wow, what a what a response! This guy goes out and curses God and they put him to death. And yet, as I mentioned, God is trying to preserve a nation and protect them from the tendency of nations and the tendencies of men, which is to depart from God and to to grow uh, further and further from the fear of God. And I want you to consider what's going on in our own country and in our own culture. It is extremely troubling to me personally to have heard lately, recently, that the President of the United States, who holds the very highest office of authority in our land, who is a professing claiming to be Christian, has recently determined that the biblical view of marriage is no longer appropriate for us as a nation, and that we should redefine marriage to include homosexual and transgender uh, unions and marriage. Now, I'm not interested in making a political statement here tonight, and that's not the point. I use this only as an example to illustrate the trend of a nation when the very leader of the nation, who is professing to be an evangelical Christian, departs so clearly from the Word of God and the truth of God 
and, and the law of God and the commandment of God, something is going on in that culture. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not making a political statement here tonight. I'm simply addressing the times in which you and I find ourselves living. Something is going on, and it is not good. There is a, an, an agenda, if you will, and I believe it's an agenda of the enemy to move us as a culture, as a people, away from the truth and the moral foundation of God and his word. You don't even have to be, I mean, you don't have to even be spiritual to see that. All you have to do is live a little, you know, if you've lived uh, maybe 30 plus years, you can already see just in your own lifetime, wow, things have really changed. What was so, you know, unheard of in my day in high school is now commonplace on those campuses. The things that we would have never imagined we would be dealing with as a culture, we are now dealing with as a culture. Again, I'm not here to pick on any uh, group. I'm here to simply say that God has given us his word as a foundation for truth and morality. And we as a nation, once founded on those truths, once once really rooted on those laws, have moved and are continuing to move in what I sense is an even faster and greater pace. And it's coming even from now the leadership of the nation. So um, what's going on? What, What does that say to us as Christians, as a church that believes in the Bible? And believe believes in, you know, what would be considered the traditional fundamental values of marriage and family, and sexuality, and morality. It means that we really need to wake up, church, as spiritual people, and recognize the time in which you live, and you need to be drawing close to the Lord in prayer. You need to be drawing close to the Lord in your own personal relationship. You need to be. Uh, proactive in your family and in those that God has entrusted you to have impact on because you are the salt of the earth. The preserving agent in this culture is the church of Jesus Christ. If we, if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? If the light goes out in the church, then who will keep us from the darkness? I know it's a little heavy, but I think it's the time in which we live. And I, I, you know, having seen this, you know, in the news, I, I, it's been stirring in me, you know, for a couple of weeks since I heard it. And I'm just praying on it. Lord, you know, I, I just, I don't want to, to not address that in the heart of our people. I want, I want us to see with open eyes what is going on. Not with, con- not with condemning eyes. Not with some intolerant, you know, political activist eyes. As Christians, you should vote. You should do what God has given you to do in this nation to, be, to, to help preserve the country. If you have values and you want them uh, represented in your government, then you should, you should do your part. But more importantly, I'm asking you to consider spiritually what God, what the, the, the generation that God has placed you in the time in which you live. I want you to turn with me now, if you would, to the book of Jude. 
There are a number of uh, books that I could, uh, passages that we could look at here tonight. I chose Jude to kind of identify a little bit of what I'm speaking. Jude is the little book right before the book of Revelation. And it's one chapter. And we'll be picking it up here tonight in verse 17. In just a few verses, I want you to read. I, I, before we read it, let me say this. I think that what we're seeing and what we're experiencing is exactly what the Holy Spirit told the apostles would come. And we have a number of uh, exhortations in the Scripture warning us and telling us that in the last days, what? Perilous times will come. So we're not surprised, okay? We're not, we're not caught unaware. Why did God give us these warnings? So that we wouldn't be surprised. So that we wouldn't be discouraged. So that we wouldn't be overwhelmed. Oh my, what do we do? God has already given us in His Word the warning so that we would know, okay, this is exactly what God predicted would, would come at the end, toward the end of time. Which tells us we are near the end. And it also gives us some instruction on how to respond as a church, as Christians, living in this time. Jude, verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You were warned that in the last time... There would be mockers. There would would be those that would begin to walk according to the lusts and the sensuality and that there would be a departure from spiritual things and the things of God. But you, beloved, here's some instructions starting in verse 20. First of all, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is a time to be building your spiritual life through prayer and devotion. This is not a time to be casual in your spiritual walk. This is not a time to be negligent as a Christian in your personal walk with the Lord. You're living in dangerous times. You're living in dark times. It's time for you to be diligent in your own prayer life, devotion life, fellowship life. It's a time to be close to the Lord, building up your your own faith. But not only praying and strengthening yourself, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It's a time to be hopeful. We know we're living in the last days, and so we can be, anticipate, we can be anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keeping yourself in the love of God. Be encouraged in that, you know, don't, don't be despairing. Oh no, what's happening? Times are getting dark. Things are going to get worse. What are we to do? 
We are to be strong in our own walk, and we are to be looking upward, for our redemption draweth nigh. Let this time actually build a hope and an expectation that the Lord is at the door. And church, with all my heart, I believe that He is. I believe that He is at the door. These things, to me, speak of the end. It speaks of, Lord, you are close. You are right at the door. And that, to me, is kind of exciting. That's kind of a charge for me. That's kind of, okay, Lord, help me burn brightly now, these last days, whatever is left of the time, whatever is left of my time, because my heart is fixed on eternal life. So as the times grow dark, you, you lose less and less affection and attraction and attachment to the world. You begin to consider eternal things. I mean, I, what will this nation look like in 60 years? You know, I, I don't know if I, I won't be around, but I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know if you'd want to be around. You know, and I don't say that to despair or discourage. I say that, look, my hope isn't in America. My hope is in eternity. Now, this is my nation. I love this country, and I pray for this nation. I am, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm one of the guys that, you know, when I'm at a sporting events and they play the national anthem, I got a tear running down my eye, you know. We'll go to these Dodger games and they have, they have, I think it's around the fifth inning, sixth inning now, they sing God Bless America. And oh, I just get moved every time, you know. There's guys drinking beer and cursing all around me. God Bless America. <laughs> you know, I feel it. Oh, God bless our country. God, you have blessed our country. God, protect our nation. God, stir us again in our hearts as a people. But raise up the people of God to pray and to seek you and to be the salt. Preserve us, Lord. Maybe there is time. Maybe there's another generation or two or three that God would tarry. But it will only happen as we are a preserving agent in our midst. So my heart is stirred, but my heart is focused on eternity. And then in verse 22... And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Verse 22 and 23 is a call to be diligent for others. You need to have compassion on some. Listen, some are suffering, some are hurting, some have lost their way, some are desperate for truth. Some are so confused and so despairing. Some have grown so depressed. I, I think about the young people in our culture. I've shared this with you before. I went to a youth concert here put on by Calvary Chapel, Santa Fe Springs, and the young man that led the... It was a bunch of teenagers and young people, a whole gymnasium filled. And the young man that led the band at the end of his, toward the end of his concert, he stood up and he said, Now listen, I want to give you young people my testimony. I'm singing and, and living for the Lord, but it was just some years back that I attempted suicide because I thought my life was over and I thought I had nothing to live for. But God saved me and changed my life. And now I'm singing of Him and ministering for Him. And, and I want to speak to you. There may be some of you here today that this very morning you had suicide in your heart and on your mind. If that's you, I want to pray for you, and I want you to come to the front of the stage. The stage was flooded with young people 
without hope and despairing and hurting. These are young people that need to hear that God loves them, that God cares about them, that their life has purpose and destiny, and that God has something for them. Is that your condition tonight? It is. If anyone else is struggling with this, I invite you to come forward right now. Anyone else, you're in despair. Your heart is overwhelmed. Anyone want to join this young lady that needs this kind of prayer right now? God's speaking to you. Others can come and pray for her. I'm going to pray for her. But if there's anybody else that needs prayer right now, you're in despair. And on some have compassion. Is there anyone else here tonight you need compassion of prayer? Yes, brother. I want some brothers here to come and pray. Maybe you're not here tonight struggling with suicide, but you are definitely here tonight struggling with despair. And you're feeling as though your life has no purpose and no meaning. And you need a touch of his compassion and his mercy and his love. Anyone else? Just come to the altar. Let's pray. The Holy Spirit is speaking and the Holy Spirit wants to to move. Come on, young man. Some, we need this young man to be prayed for. Some of you men break off and pray for this young man, and then this woman needs prayer as well. So lay your hands on those that have come. All right, let's just pray as a people for these hearts here tonight. Father, We're living in dark times. And Satan is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is lying to a whole generation of people, telling them that their life is meaningless, telling them that their life has no purpose, telling them that their life will only get worse and worse and there is no hope. But that's not the truth. The truth is that their life is of precious value. The truth is that they have a God who created them and had them in mind even before the foundation of the world. You know them, you see them, you love them. You have created them for divine purpose and destiny, a future and a hope, plans for good, not for evil. And not only a life, not only blessing in this life, but eternal life. God, I pray that you would rescue these hearts tonight. And just as the scripture said, on these we ask, God, have compassion. Pour out your love. Pour out your grace. May their their hearts feel the presence of your Holy Spirit in a powerful, mighty way. That there would be no doubt God loves you and God has touched you tonight. 
this time was for you. He brought you here tonight. He's put these words in my heart to speak them to you. So God, encourage and strengthen and lift the burden. Break the power of the enemy. Bring mercy, Lord. Bring compassion. As you put your heart and trust in Jesus, all of your sins will be forgiven. As you make Jesus your Lord and Savior, everything you've ever done, everything that you're ashamed of, everything that's hanging over you is gone. You are cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for you. Put your hope and trust in him. Receive his love and forgiveness tonight. And let him begin to breathe purpose and life and hope and destiny into your heart and mind. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. So you see, you see the time in which we live. Despair is everywhere. And we must, as God's people, have compassion. Open your eyes. Listen, when you're in the market, when you're out on campus, when you're, when you're just out in the highways and byways, open up your eyes. Don't just go about your business. Don't just get caught up in the Southern California hustle bustle. Look around and see. You can see it on their faces. You can hear it in their voice. And just look for ways to minister compassion, the mercy, the grace, the word of truth of Jesus Christ. On some have compassion, but listen, for others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Some need a word of tender mercy and compassion. Others need a strong word of warning. They are living in sin. They are living in rebellion. They are caught up in the world. They believe that they are just fulfilling their own personal ambition and lust and destiny. Some need to be pulled out of the fire. And it says, save them with fear. You need to be honest. You need to tell people the truth about the love of God, but also the truth about the end of their sin and where it will lead them. And maybe you're here tonight and you need to be saved with fear. It's as if we want to snatch you out of the fire. Listen, hell is real. It's a real place. It's a real destiny. And for those that reject Christ, for those that reject God and His Word, they have rejected the only hope and help that they have. The only hope that you have of eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And if you reject it and continue to pursue your own stubborn, sinful way, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm not saying this to look down on you. I'm saying this to snatch you out of the fire. Come to Jesus. Get your heart and life right with God. This is not a time to be living in sin and compromise. And you know, you know it. You know it in your heart. You don't need me to persuade you. The Spirit of God is already speaking to you. Let this just be a confirming word. It's time to get my life right. It's time to get my heart right. It's time to, to be snatched out of the fire, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. I don't want to have anything to do with that lifestyle, that, that habit, that, that destiny that I'm headed towards God.
save me with fear. And not a fear of, you know, a fear of God, but a fear of not having God. A fear of being without Him, recognizing that He loves you and wants you to be close to Him. So we need to be busy about that witness as well, church. And there may be some here tonight that can receive that word. But the final two verses in Jude give us great encouragement, and I want to end on those tonight. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Because I can't keep myself from stumbling. I need him to help me and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Thank you, Jesus. To him who is able to keep you on the path, to keep you cleansed and forgiven and to bring you to that place of glory and exceeding joy to God our Savior to al- who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen what's the what's the end of this time and this warning that Jude gives worship and praise <laughs> yes you're living in dark time Yes, you need to be diligent in your own spiritual life, building up your own faith, having compassion on some, snatching others from the fire, but all the while looking to Him who is going to bring you home. You're going to make it. You're going to be there. You're going to stand in His presence. It's going to be overwhelming glory and joy. He's able to keep you. He's able to, to see you through. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And, the, and, and Jude ends in worship and praise. This is our God. He's rescuing us, rescuing us from these times, and he will, faith, he will be faithful to bring us into eternity. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this word in Leviticus that reminds us of your holiness. It reminds us of how diligent you were in preserving your people by keeping their hearts and nation pure. And Lord, it also challenges us as believers to keep our hearts, to keep the church, to be, to be in step with you in our generation. We want the light lit in this place. Lord, we want the Holy Spirit all over us, and we need you tonight. But God, not only are we encouraged by the word in Leviticus, but it speaks to us today about the time and the generation in which we find ourselves living. The very thing that God was endeavoring to do in his nation, Lord, we can see why. Because we see what's happening in our own nation. We see a departure from the things of God. But we're not discouraged, Lord, we're challenged. Because you told us these times would come, and you gave us some instructions, some marching orders of how to conduct ourselves in this, in this time. That we would be prayerful, that we would be diligent to love and show compassion and to warn and, and to bring your truth and your word and to worship. To look, looking up for our redemption draws nigh. And so we thank you, Lord, for this word of encouragement and instruction to us tonight. And as your heads are bowed here tonight, I do want to give opportunity, if there are anyone else, others here tonight that need prayer, 
you may need to respond to the Lord. Keeping your heads bowed, I want to invite those of you that are here today that may need to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never invited him into your life personally. You've never made him your Lord and Savior. But he's he's spoken to you tonight and you want to give your heart to him. I want to pray for you. Or maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate your life to him. Maybe something of his compassion met you. Not just those who came for prayer here, but there may be others here tonight. You need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you need to be snatched from the fire. And you know who you are. If the Lord is speaking to you tonight, let me pray for you. Respond to him. Let him meet you in this moment. So if you're here tonight and you need the Lord for the very first time, or you need to rededicate, recommit yourself to him, would you simply raise your hand where you're seated, and I will pray for you. Bless you, sir. Am I right? Anyone else? Right here is you, ma'am, as well, in the center. God bless you. Bless you too, young man. Bless you. Anyone else here tonight before I pray for these that have responded? Lord speaking to you. And you need this prayer. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these hands that have raised being honest before you. And our prayer, Lord, is that you would forgive us. If I could speak for these hearts tonight, Lord, we would come to you and we would say, Lord, we need your mercy on our life. We've made mistakes. We've missed the mark. But we believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to cleanse me. Because I believe that Jesus died on that cross and rose from the grave that I might be justified before you tonight, Lord. So cleanse me and take away the shame and the guilt and the past and the pain. Set me free tonight. And Lord, bring my heart home where it belongs, close to you in relationship. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Pour out that anointing oil. Let the flame burn bright in my heart tonight. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you, to walk in, in your love, to serve you, and to be faithful in this generation that you have entrusted to me. We ask these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll close tonight in a song of worship, and then I'll dismiss us in prayer. Still you're